Good evening, everyone. I'm Alderman and Sheriff Professor Michael Minelli, and I'm here with my brother, Sheriff Chris Hayward. And uh, we're very delighted to welcome you to tonight's program, which you can see before you. We have done this in association with a large number of people, uh, including uh, Sir Nick Stadlin, obviously, but also uh, our High Sheriff, Alderman John Garbutt. And now, just to get things kicking off, I'd like to hand over to Sharon, Sharon Constanson, who's chairman of the South African Chamber of Commerce, to say a few words of welcome and about the trial. Thank you very much. Evening, everybody. I'm Sharon Constanson, chairman of the South African Chamber of Commerce. And it's an absolute honor to be here with all of you tonight. I think this is probably my largest webinar audience I have ever um, played to and from a very wide range of countries. Special welcome and thank you to Alderman Professor Michael Manelli, who you've just heard from, and to Mr. Chris, Christopher Hayward, who you've just seen a moment ago, Sheriffs of the City of London. And unfortunately, due to lockdown, we're not physically in the Central Criminal Court, the Old Bailey, but everyone is dressed for the occasion. Also like to welcome in due course the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor of the City of London, Alderman William Russell, and the High Court Judge Mark Lucroft, who we'll be hearing from later on this evening. In addition to that, a special welcome to Professor, oh, sorry, to um, Sir Nick Stadlin, who uh, you'll be hearing from and sharing his views a lot tonight, who is our main um, person of the evening. And I would also then like to welcome all of you. And to put everything in context, because not everybody on this call will know South Africa very well, particularly know the context in which South Africa existed in the early 60s during the time of this. And just to give you two or three, two minutes or three minutes, I think it is, of just putting it into context before we proceed with the rest of the evening. So enjoy this little short video. Good evening. Before we enjoy Sir Nick Stadlin's work, a few words to put this moving and in places challenging documentary into context. The lessons that can be drawn from history of South Africa are many, and many of these are sobering. Today, these lessons have global relevance, for example, in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement and the resurgence of white nationalism. Europeans first settled in South Africa in the 17th century and over the next 200 years trekked into the hinterland where many conflicts arose against the indigenous tribes. In 1899, the Anglo-Boer War began, a two and a half year protracted and bloody conflict between the British and the Afrikaners. A fear of further persecution against the Afrikaners, which they determined to resist through strength and domination resulted in the formation of the Africana movement in 1910. Interestingly, the ANC movement began shortly thereafter, in 1912. In 1948, the newly elected Africana National Party formalized the ethnic and racial divisions of the policies of apartheid. The film more than adequately covers what happened in South Africa during the ensuing years, how resistance evolved and was violently put down, leading to the adoption of the armed struggle and the arrest and long imprisonment of the ANC leaders. During those years of incarceration, a global anti-apartheid movement was formed. It was led from the UK by Nelson Mandela's former university colleague and legal firm partner, Oliver Tambo. 
Today, we are privileged to have Oliver Tambo's daughter, Nama Temba Tambo, as South Africa's High Commissioner to the UK. Tembi, who is an honorary member of the Chamber, wishes everyone present tonight a warm welcome, as she could unfortunately and unusually not join us in person. Nelson Mandela was adopted as a symbol for all political prisoners in South Africa through the additional efforts of many, for example, Lord Peter Hayne, who led the sporting boycott of South Africa, Trevor Huddleston, who campaigned for political prisoners, and Bob Hughes and Mike Terry, who organized the 70th birthday concert for Mandela in Wembley Stadium. Mandela became a household name offshore and a cultural icon for human rights and racial equality. After becoming president in 1994, Mandela was embraced around the world and particularly in the UK. One close relationship is described by Joel Joffe, one of the original legal team, used to tell the story of how Mandela asked him to pass a message to the palace. The message was addressed, Dear Lizzie. Today, a statue of Mandela stands in Parliament Square. In 2013, Mandela was awarded the freedom of the City of London. Between then and 2018, all trialists and their legal team were individually awarded this honour by the City of London. Along with F.W. de Klerk, Mandela jointly received a Nobel Peace Prize in 1993 for their joint effort in delivering a peaceful termination of the apartheid regime. It is so tragic that a chapter in time has moved on, this year seeing the passing of the last two trialists and the last legal representatives. The example that they have set for the integrity and human rights, however, will live on forever. The vision, selflessness, conviction and courage depicted in the film is a learning to us all individually and to the leaders of South Africa. And now we're going to have a welcome recorded by the Right Honourable, the Lord Mayor of the City of London, Alderman William Russell. Good evening and welcome to this online screening of Life is Wonderful. Mandela's Unsung Heroes. I am William Russell, the 692nd Lord Mayor of the City of London, a city with strong ties to South Africa, to the history of colonialism and to the anti-apartheid movement. Now I'd like to thank Michael Minnelli and Chris Hayward, the Sheriffs of the City of London, John Garbutt, the High Sheriff of Greater London, and the South African Chamber of Commerce UK for organising this event. I am honoured to introduce this award-winning film by Sir Nick Stadlin, which captures some of the personal experiences of the last remaining defendants and defence lawyers from the Rivonia trial, the indictment of 10 anti-apartheid activists, including Nelson Mandela. I'm sorry to say that all of the defendants have now passed away, with the final two, Dennis Goldberg and Andrew Munjeni, who feature heavily in the film, leaving us this year. However, I am pleased to say that in recent years, a number of the defendants were admitted to the freedom of the City of London in recognition of all they achieved in their own struggle for freedom, including Dennis Goldberg, Andrew Munjeni, and Ahmed Kathrada. So were two of their defence lawyers, George Bezos and Joel Joff who had a long career in the city and became Lord Joff in later life. Nelson Mandela himself was awarded the honorary freedom of the city in 1996. 
but none of them could have known back in 1964 that they would one day receive worldwide recognition for their efforts. Back then, their lives hung in the balance, and the threat of a death sentence loomed before them. This documentary is a testament to their courage, their determination, and the enduring power of the legal arguments deployed during their trial. I am delighted that Sir Nick Stadlin is with us tonight to discuss his film, along with the recorder of London, Mark Lucroft. I hope you will join in the discussion as we all seek to learn from this extraordinary chapter in modern history. Thank you. Good evening. Evening, Sir Nick. How are you? Wonderful to see you again. I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you. We're going to give Can everybody... I stop? I say... Uh, just one second. We have a Q&A session, everybody who's on the panel. Can you please put your Q&A questions in on the Q&A section? But we will only be addressing those after the movie. Uh, so Nick will be sharing his personal raison d'etre as to why he took on this mission, life's mission work. Uh, Nick, you wanted to say something before you got into telling us the story of why you've done it? You've got a couple of minutes. Just to thank everybody, all, all the hosts of this uh, wonderful event, very much for arranging it and putting it on and inviting me to contribute. I'll be very brief. In June 2018, two, two years ago, I was privileged to be invited to the 93rd birthday party of Andrew Malingeni, one of the then three surviving co-defendants of Nelson Mandela and one of the three heroes in this film. Uh, in making the tribute, President Ramaphosa recounted the story of being told by the deputy president of another country that South Africa was blessed in having the most valuable natural asset any country can possess, living heroes. That precisely encapsulated why I made this film and why I set out on this journey. I stumbled across these stories in 2014 when I happened to be in South Africa when Nelson Mandela died and I discovered uh, that there were these three surviving co-defendants uh, and three members of the defense team who were still alive and all had razor-sharp memories. To my shame, I had never heard of them, but I also discovered, to my surprise, that very few young people in South Africa had heard of them either. And I thought that if I was a young South African, particularly a young black South African in the townships, disillusioned with years of corruption and cronyism, I would want to know that my political freedoms had been won, not just by the great charismatic, once in a lifetime, once in a generation figure loved and admired all over the world, Nelson Mandela, but by ordinary people like you and me, like Dennis, Andrew and Kathy, Because uh, it's not just uh, the general who takes the risks uh, and puts his neck on the line. Ordinary people, the infantrymen, they also have only one neck and they also put their necks and their lives on the line and risked a quarter of a century in prison. So there are two messages in this film. One is that uh, apartheid was brought to an end, not just by black South Africans, but by white and Indian and colored South Africans as well, men and women. And the second is that uh, it was not just, um, uh, and indeed in the words of Andrew Mullingeni, when I filled in getting an honorary doctorate at the University of South Africa, we were a multiracial band of comrades 
fighting for a non-racial society. And the second message is that ordinary people can change the world. And it's directed to try and inspire young South Africans to ask themselves, if I look at these ordinary people to whom I can relate, who are like me, Dennis was an engineer, uh, Andrew was a golf fanatic, if they can find within themselves the reserves of courage, integrity, commitment, uh, and willingness to put a cause above their own interests, and they can bring apartheid to an end, what can I do to change my world and improve the lives of my fellow countrymen and countrywomen? That's it. Thank you, Sir Nick. It's, it's actually amazing every time I hear you talk about it, how it, it gives me as South Africans say, shrillings down my spine, shivers down my spine, that somebody has taken so much time post-retirement into something that's not even your own country. Quite amazing. We'll now hand over to the, the movie and we will see you all in 90 minutes time. Enjoy the movie. Thanks, Sir Nick. We really expected death sentences. And when you look at the gallows together, there's a bond. It can never be broken, only by death. Well, first I have to tell you, he said it not as a challenge, but there was a hoarseness in his voice. It wasn't shouted, it was a very determined statement. And when he finished and sat down, there was a long silence in the court. In the audience, there was a kind of collective sigh <sighs> uh, because of the clear challenge to the judge, hang me if you dare. And I think in the end, it changed history. If he was charged, would I defend him uh, or handle the trial? And I said, Yes, Hilda, I will do that, but I want to warn you that according to the media there's an, and the police, there is an incredibly strong case against all the accused and that they are likely to be hanged. And I added, I think that it won't be helped by the fact that public opinion is against the accused. And she turned to me and said, Mr. Joffe, you and I talk different languages. Public opinion of the whites may be against the accused, but public opinion of the majority of blacks and of non-whites is very strongly in favor of the accused. And that was a lesson for me. After exchanging pleasantries, I asked him, Brown for nine and a half months, involvement in the, the underground, was it worthwhile for you to give up your family, to give up your practice and go underground? And he became angry with me and he asked me, did you ask Nelson the same questions that you are putting to me? I said no. If he did not ask him didn't he have a practice? Didn't he have a family? Why did you not ask him? And why do you ask me? I had no answer. 
after they pushed me out of the window, the one on the right held my right ankle and the one on my left held my left ankle. And I was dangling with these two chaps holding my ankles. After asking you whether you were going to talk or not, the one would let go of the one ankle. And, you know, it's... I don't think anyone can actually imagine or describe the feeling that goes through your head and body. Uh, I said, what, what is it you want? Uh, why, why are you here? Because they might have been here about defence for one of their husbands or so on. They said, no, our, our, our husbands were hanged this morning in Pretoria and we wanted to know how we can get their bodies. I wanted people to be able to be people, to be human beings again. We arrived at the prison and I said to then Colonel Ocump, who was the head of prison security, you look so happy, you look like the cat that looked, licked the cream. He turned on me with real anger and said, you should have been hanged. Yeah. And you will never get out of here, you'll never walk out of here on your own two feet. We'll carry you out feet first in a coffin. And, uh, well, I can tell you that as a brigadier general in the prison service, he passed away before we were released, I did walk out on my own two feet. No, but you are so provocative. How can you say that to him? It's provocation. Well, of course. What more can they do to me? I'm in prison for life. He what can they do? He was a cheeky man, very cheeky bastard. <laughs> you know that our people are so tolerant of what happened, are able to let bygones be bygones. I think it's an astonishing act of generosity because the wounds are so deep in the perpetrators, in the, those who've suffered and their families. And yet somehow, somehow we've managed to hold it together. Let us know that for each, the body, the mind and the soul have been freed to fulfill themselves. Never. Never, never again, never again, shall it be that this beautiful land will again experience the oppression of one by another. God bless Africa. I thank you. So when I say I'm proud to be here and come back here and rejoice in what we've achieved, that's why, because of that speech because of the people, because of what we've done. We're just going to share uh, some reflections of South Africans and our views on how do we feel now, having learnt what we've just learnt in the last hour and a half. 
Um, I know I feel very emotional, but I'm going to leave Stuart and Rian to talk first. Stuart, with your fancy headgear, do you want to be the first to be brave enough to share some thoughts? We've got five minutes between the three of us to have a conversation. Yeah, thank you, Sharon, and uh, nice to see you, Rian. And, and, and um, so, Nick, what, a, what an incredible um, an incredible film. Um, I, I think my, my starting point here is that I, you know, I'm probably the least qualified to comment on this other than the fact that I have a South African accent. I, you know, I was, uh, I was born in the year Madiba turned 60, having already spent 14 years in jail. Um, but I, you know, I remember, uh, as a, as a white South African growing up in, in those early uh, years through the 80s. Um, it was a different history that we were experiencing to, I think, the the real one that, that the whole country was, uh, the rest of the country was subject to. Um, but I remember quite clearly um, watching the release of Madiba in 1990 and um, the sort of mix of excitement of a, a new era having started to realize um, the, the, the reality of the country that we lived in. Um, you know, followed soon by the first democratic election, which remarkably was so peaceful. Um, the speech that was alluded to in, uh, in 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 the film earlier on, the you know the the World Cup in '95 when Madiba wears Francois Pinot's jersey, and and just the the incredible way that these heroes. I think Sir Nick spoke earlier about the heroes um, that uh, that he's brought to life through this. Um, just the incredible way that this group of heroes were able to to bring. Uh, that country together, our country together, it's 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 been you know been remarkable. Um, I think the thing that struck me, just sharing a couple of thoughts on 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 the film, um, is just the incredible privilege to be connected in some way with a community of heroes that that were so selfless and so intent on on their purpose and on making that purpose fulfilled, regardless of the personal cost. Um, uh, so Nick spoke earlier about ordinary people can change the world. That's something I, I firmly believe and we've seen in, in evidence over here. Um, and then I suppose the final thought is what are those ideas, if we think about Brom Fisher's uh, speech, what are those ideas that we need to hold on to um, that are contested today but tomorrow are going to be universally and prominently accepted? And and, and I suppose the challenge to all, all of us is there is still a, a, a work to um, to be completed in South Africa, but more broadly in our world as well. Um, and, and what is the part that we can play as ordinary people um, to realize some of those things that might seem like ideals today, but can be realities tomorrow. So I think that's been the real challenge, just watching uh, watching these heroes at work. Thanks so much, Stuart. Uh, Rian, how do you feel? <laughs> what have you yes. missed? Well, um, first, as um, congratulations to Sir Nick. What a great film, uh, and to put it together as he has. Uh, how how do I feel? I think mixed emotions. There's a part of me which is uh, filled with disbelief and anger of um, you taking me back to what South Africa was like, and it was barely 30 years ago. And I struggle with that, um, and I'm sure many people feel that as well. But then there's the other side of watching what has been very personal, very human stories, uh, which I was moved. And it gets quite emotional in parts, particularly to hear Madiba's words when he was um, speaking at the trial. I just felt 
gosh, this is a this is a lump in the throat moment. Uh, and to learn about the heroics of so many people that uh, I had taken for granted almost, um, you know, had like Stuart not lived through it. Uh, uh, and I hope that part through a film like this is not lost. I would love to show this to my boys when they're a little bit older. They won't understand what's going on. Uh, but when they're a little older and have some way of linking that thread of continuity with the next generation, because I just feel we can't lose that part of our history. So to the heroism, I feel pride. Uh, I feel a sense of belonging, which is sometimes lost when you've spent 15 years in the UK out of South Africa uh, and um, loved it. But it also, if I could end on a word, it, uh, it, it um, is probably perspective on where I am in my life today compared to what these people have been through. Uh, and that just brings a measure of introspection uh, as well, which we shouldn't lose touch of. Thank you. Thanks, Ryong. Um, it is very, uh, I mean, it's the fourth time I've seen the movie. And I have to say, I learn something new every single time. And the part that um, for me is so valuable and so important, or it struck me each time I've seen it, that people that were black, Indian, colored, English, Afrikaans, Jewish, however you want to describe them, by their color, their language, their religion, they all were part of this. This was a collective of a multi-racial society, men and women, old and young, diversity in its absolute. And what they did and how they actually changed the country as a result of it, for me, is uh, being driven by your beliefs can make a difference. And I thought that that will always stand with me every time I see the movie. And they showed that um, vision out of that uh, building near, uh, down the southern part of Johannesburg um, where they uh, had the prison and they had that number of um, deaths that occurred by people having jumped out of windows. Yeah. Now we know exactly didn't jump out of windows. And you look at that and you think, goodness me, I do remember reading those stories in the newspaper and thinking it's a very strange thing to happen and you always questioned it. But I have to say, uh, so Nick, you did something for me today I hadn't registered. I was brought up in an English speaking family and they were in South Africa for business reasons. So as an English speaking family, they weren't there for their personal choice of being there. And Kathrada made a comment saying, well, I got brought up with multiracial young friends and then it changed and it changed when I went to school. And I think back, um, I exactly the same thing for myself. I used to have little colored friends and we used to chat away in Afrikaans at the yacht club in Hermanus, for example. And then it, it came to a stage where they were not acceptable, for want of a better word, but equally, one thing I never understood is my family always said the Afrikaners were unacceptable. And when I listened to the voices of the politicians in the 1960s that we heard tonight, I think I get it. So, so Nick, thank you. I think I understand my parents a lot better now. So it was an amazing moment, that light bulb that just switched on. And I just wanted to tell everyone quickly, um, Dennis Goldberg died in April this year. Andrew Melanghini died in July this year, and George Bezos, the wonderful uh, lawyer, 
died in September this year. So it's been quite a year for the people, um, Sir Nick, that you worked with, and that must be quite profound for you. And if anybody wants to read up the wonderful um, stories that um, Sir Nick has written, if you go to the website of the South African Chamber, um, uh, I will put it on the um, Q&A for you, give you the website. Wonderful stories that um, Sir Nick has written about the three individuals during this year. Any finishing statement, um, Stuart, you'd like to make, or are you done? No, other than it's been a privilege to, uh, to sit here and watch this. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I really did um, have to say, Stuart said, no, 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 I don't think I've got anything to say. I'm the wrong person. Not at all. Rian? Uh, echo that. A real privilege and congratulations again, uh, Sir Nick and Sharon, you for coordinating this and pulling it together. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. You're welcome to disappear into physical oblivion. Uh, please enjoy the Q&A that we're going to go through now. We've got some lovely questions that have been coming up. So Nick, would you like to join me? So Nick, okay. the gentleman we didn't see through the whole movie, yet we heard your voice the whole way through it. What an amazing um, film. And again, it makes me incredibly emotional to watch it and how much I learned and who the different players were, because there's so much in that story and it's quite complex. But I'd like to start, first of all, with a question that we have got. Um, and I have to say, I didn't expect you to teach me about my parents, but that was a really interesting one. Um, question from Erica. What facts or what person surprised you most while making the documentary and why? Uh, a very good question. No one's asked me that before. I suppose. Actually, this question actually comes up twice. She's not the only one who's asked it. I suppose what surprised me most was the extent of the integrity and the courage of all these people. And it wasn't just the people in the uh, in the film. At the very end, there's a very brief cameo appearance for a few seconds of Leslie Schambrucker, who I think is the most uh, impressive person I've ever met, actually. Um, she, uh, now in her late 80s, but um, her husband was uh, under arrest and due to spend six years in prison. She was arrested for um, helping Brown Fisher uh, remain underground. And then her best friend, Violet Weinberg, was tortured. And uh, eventually, after 48 hours, which was the, uh, the, the, the target so that people could then escape, uh, revealed Leslie's address. But Leslie was still there. And she, she was arrested, subjected to the statue torture. And um, she was then uh, asked to give evidence against Bram Fisher, her, her colleague and her comrade and her friend. And it, made no, it, would, it would have made absolutely no difference. The case against Bram was watertight. And yet she refused. Uh, and the magistrate said, well, if you don't, you'll go to prison for another 300 days on top of the two years you're going to get anyway. And she said, I'm not going to give evidence against my friend. And the fact that so many people from so many different backgrounds, from um, uh, Andrew, from his from the black township with his 11 to uh, 12 brothers and sisters, Dennis from his white Jewish communist uh, immigrant uh, background, Bram Fisher, the grandson of the Afrikaner nationalist, uh, first prime minister of the Orange Free Colony, one of the great elite Afrikaner families, nationalist families, from so many different backgrounds, they all stood up and were counted. 
no matter what the cost to themselves. And in the case of the defendants, they literally risked losing their lives. In the case of the lawyers, you heard George Bezos say that um, he was sent a message by the prime minister, your rope is getting short. He actually went to his brother and said, look, if they arrest me, will you look after my children? But they all carried on. And I found this remarkably humbling, moving, and I have to say, every time I see their testimony in the film, um, I find it quite hard to keep a dry eye myself. I know, quite incredible. It's a very aligned question to that, but the nuance is slightly different. What did you see or learn during the making of the movie that most surprised you? See or learn? So it's very similar to what after we've just been through. Well, the thing that I that most the thing that I learned that most surprised me was that, as I said at the beginning, it wasn't just Nelson Mandela that uh, brought um, apartheid to an end single-handedly. The fact that the world has been under that belief for so many years wasn't an accident. It was a deliberate policy decision on the part of his best friend and former law partner uh, and president of the ANC, um, Oliver Tambo. That went, who was in charge in exile when Mandela was in prison, but he decided that all the focus of world opposition to apartheid should be on this mystery man, Nelson Mandela, the man in exile, the man with no face, the man with no voice. Um, and so that's how the world came to think of it. I hadn't heard of these people, but every one of the people you see in the film took the same risks, made the same sacrifices as Mandela. And that mm -hmm. I, not only did it surprise me, but it struck me as an enormous potential agent for good and for change, because if it had that effect on me, why wouldn't it have the same effect on the young disaffected black person in a township or the white Africana entre female entrepreneur who was won a prize at your um, business awards a few years ago and then was in the audience at one of the launches in the UK at the Bertha Dockhouse. And she was in tears in, uh, and said from the audience, thank you for this, because all my life at school, all my childhood at school, I was made to feel guilty as a white girl that apartheid was my fault. Nobody ever told me about Dennis Goldberg or Rusty Bernstein or Bram Fisher or Joel Joffe. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, you are a man from the law, uh, having been a judge yourself here in the UK. Question along those lines. Did the Ravonia trial set any legal precedent? If so, within South Africa only, or were there international implications? Has this trial been referenced in case law going forward? It's not a legally binding precedent. Uh, it is the most, in my view, the most important political trial in the history of South Africa. Its importance lies, in my view, not on the legal aspects of the case, although as a 30 years litigator. Uh, I mean, I'd have given my eye teeth even just to be a fly on the wall uh, in those <laughs> consultations. Bram Fisher, uh, Joel Joffe, Arthur Chastelson, George Bezos, um, uh, and Vernon Berenger, the Rottweiler cross-examiner. No, in my view, the, the significance of the trial is principally political. It was, mm -hmm. from the point of view of the defendants, turning it into a political trial, putting apartheid in the dock of world public opinion, and the genius of the lawyers, as Joel hinted at, was um, accepting their instructions, which was to um, sacrifice their own interests, for example, by not putting Mandela in the box, which significantly increased the likelihood of their being um, hanged because their denial of having agreed the Operation Maibuya, the plan for civil war, 
uh, lacked any um, evidential weight. Um, it, it, they, they reconciled that with getting the result. And the result wasn't a finding of innocence. That was never going to happen. The result was saving their lives. And the fact that they achieved it was, I mean, a, just a tour de force, a magnificent collective achievement for the lawyers. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Nick. Another question. Um, did you get a sense from those you met and interviewed of their hope and aspirations for the future of South Africa today? Yes, I did. Four years ago. There was a hint uh, just at the very end of the film. One thing that um, Andrew said when uh, at the cafe with uh, Dennis, he said, you know, when I look at the things that are going on in South Africa today, Nick, it makes mm. my heart to bleed. And he tells mm. Dennis and says, Dennis, it makes my heart bleed. And all three of them, Kathy, Andrew and Dennis, although they were schooled in the discipline of the ANC and until a year or so before the end, uh, they didn't break cover. They spent mm -hmm. their whole time uh, within the ANC um, remonstrating against the corruption and the cronyism. And yes, they all felt deeply outraged at um, the squandering uh, during those years of corruption and cronyism of this noble um, legacy, this mantle that was handed down to the next generation of leaders uh, and which was defiled by those years of corruption. Amazing. It's actually quite incredible what we have learned. Um, would you say um, that this was a universal struggle and from it, what can world leaders and world freedom fighters learn from what came up, what these people did and the way they did it? In my view, yes, it is a universal struggle and it's one um, whose relevance to the world today I identified in my own mind in 2014 when I first came across the story, but has significantly increased this last year. Um, in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement in America and in this country, it is huge resonance because at the heart of these people was an unshakable commitment to non-racialism. And you just, this oozes out of every pore in the camaraderie between Dennis and Andrew. Andrew, much shyer and more reticent than Dennis, who you couldn't stop talking, but the love <laughs> between them, you know, when 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 the, uh, Andrew calls his legs, as you bastard. He calls him a cheeky bastard. And they loved each other. Um, and Dennis at one point says uh, that the bond, when you face the gallows together, there's a bond. Mm -hmm. Nothing can change it until death. Um, it's stronger than marriage, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So they weren't Jews. They weren't blacks. They weren't Afrikaners. They weren't English. They were they were human beings who had a profound belief in justice and the rule of law and democracy. And in their view, nothing was going to stop them until they established those, um, the, 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 the prevalence of those views and those principles. And yes, that is relevant to what we're seeing in America today, what we are seeing in the United Kingdom today, and the general rise of populism and the disregard in sadly, um, previously liberal democracies of attacks on the rule of law, mm. because one of the, well. We've got lots of questions, but there's two I want to see if we can get through in the next four minutes. 
The film doesn't mention where Brahm gained his communist ideals from. Did your research uncover this? Do you think his time in Oxford played a role in this? Uh, it, it did, but more particularly, he went to, when he was in Oxford, he went for the long vacation to the, he traveled around Europe, and, but spent a long time in the Soviet Union. Uh, and he wrote, when he was there, uh, he wrote, had a long correspondence with his father, annoyingly in Afrikaans. He wrote in English to his mother, but in Afrikaans to his father. Um, and that's where he first uh, dipped his toe in the waters of, of communism. Mm -hmm. um, we were together at the um, uh, Freedom um, of the City for Andrew Melangeni. I know you were there with Dennis's, but you and I were together, and so were many others on this call today. Um, a question comes from somebody else who was there. How did the defendants and legal representatives feel on receiving their freedom of the city of London in recognition of their struggles in resilience? Oh, sorry, and yeah. their struggles and resilience, yes. How did they- They absolutely did... loved it. Mm -hmm. Andrew, uh, Andrew couldn't come the first time because he was ill, but yeah. he came uh, a few years later and luckily it was on the, the, the day that, of the, the launch of this film at the British Museum. So he, there was a very emotional moment at the beginning where he just walked up onto the stage at the um, BP Auditorium in the British Museum and thanked the audience and thanked the, the anti-apartheid supporters during the dark decades of apartheid mm. for supporting the struggle and thanked them for all that it had meant, the, 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 the morale, the boost that it had meant to them. Um, Dennis, there was a wonderful moment uh, when they all had to swear uh, as part of their uh, oath uh, to become freedom of, to get the freedom of the city, that they would take part in no unlawful conspiracies. Uh, and everybody burst into laughter because it was really about a few decades too late for that. <laughs> but Dennis was very pleased, Dennis was very pleased uh, to have the right to um, uh, shepherd some sheep across uh, Tower Bridge once a year. And did they do it? Oh, I've, I've done that and I enjoyed it. Interesting, when I got my freedom of the city, um, and if you look, I, or afterwards noted, we were all looking at the other plaques above it, and there's Maggie Thatcher above my head and Nelson Mandela above my head. So I was very proud to be with important people. Um, the a last question, very quickly, who would you say are the equivalent heroes of today? Um, I think the equivalent heroes of today are all those people around the world in the United Kingdom, in the United States, in Poland, in Hungary, in Russia, in Belarus, who stand up for the rule of law, stand up for democracy, stand up against racialism, stand up against police brutality, whether it's for racial reasons or because uh, against opponents of a regime. All those people who put their mouths where their, their money where their mouths are and who are prepared to stand up for what is right, for the rule of law, for democracy, for racial equality. And they may be from all sorts of different backgrounds, but my goodness, who would have thought um, that some of the attacks on the rule, the, the principles of the rule of law and democracy that we have seen in the last few years in this country, in the United States, uh, would ever have happened in our lifetime? Yeah, exactly. Uh, John Battersby, would you like to come join us? Welcome, John. Good evening. 
John Thank has you. known Nick Sorry. a long time. John, there are many questions that I've, I've purposefully left out of asking around circulation, availability, who's going to be seeing it, how is this going to be reaching the, the public that obviously Sir Nick feels very strongly about. Can I leave you to pick up those questions? I think they are embedded in the ones you're about to ask Nick anyway. So I shall hand over to you, John, and I'll pick Thank up you, sir. right at the end and see you guys all for the last 30 seconds. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to the uh, particular thanks to the Chamber and to the City of London for providing the platform for this viewing of this uh, epic and deeply moving film by Sir Nick Stadlin. Um, I'd like to just add a few words to Sir Nick's um, modest introduction. Um, uh, and to give you a little bit of background of the passage of this film so far. Um, it was the winner of the, uh, <clears throat> of the International Documentary Film Festival Encounters in Cape Town uh, two years ago. Uh, it might be three years ago now. Um, it has been shown on public television in South Africa on the Mnet channel. It's been shown on Channel 5 in the UK. Those were both in, in 2018. Um, it's been shown by the uh, by the South African High Commissioner uh, in in, uh, in 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 London, which um, who uh, uh, Sharon has mentioned, um, Her Excellency um, Nomatemba Tambo, and it's been shown by the British Ambassador uh, in Cape Town in South Africa, um, Nigel Casey. Um, it has also been uh, it has also been selected by the Aldebaran Film Festival, the Oxford Film Festival the Swindon Spring Film Festival, the Vancouver South Africa Festival, um, last week by the Canadian South Africa Film Festival and the Sydney South Africa Film Festival um, in Australia. Um, it has been shown, uh, the film has been shown um, some 25 or 30 times now, I would think, um, in both South Africa, the UK um, and North America. And it has uh, had a tremendous uh, impact um, around the world and has been invited to open many other um, seminars and festivals which I won't go into right now. Uh, what I would like to say is that it's been a great uh, honor and privilege um, for me to have uh, informally collaborated with Cynic over the last six years or so since he stepped into my office at Brand South Africa and uh, I feel um, a small uh, part of myself um, uh, when I, every time I watch this film, which is now about 15 times. And on all occasions, I have been unable at some points in the film to suppress my anger and certainly uh, failed to suppress my tears, particularly uh, towards the end. Um, I think there were two things I'd like to just bring out, which Nick didn't mention in the, in the opening, and that is the, um, the special day, uh, Nick, in your life uh, that you shared um, and perhaps even to mention your experience many years earlier in the United States when you were a student, and then your special day in South Africa. And uh, the second one is also, well, let's do those first, and I'll ask you the second one. When I was 17 uh, in 1968, uh, when Martin Luther King was shot, I was in New York on my gap year before going to Cambridge, and I uh, was working in a, as a busboy in a restaurant at Central Park, and I came home and saw the news on television that he had been shot. And I instinctively got on a Greyhound bus to Memphis and spent a couple of days there in a vigil uh, in solidarity with him, and then hitchhiked to Atlanta where the funeral was. And I threw in the back of the car 
the placard saying, uh, saying Atlanta, but on the back of it, uh, there was um, a placard I'd been holding at the vigil saying, Honor Martin Luther King. And half an hour into the journey, the young man giving me the lift opened his glove compartment, picked up a gun, tossed it around in his hand and said, this is for any N-word loving outside agitator I come across. And I spent the next four and a half hours wondering which side up I had left the placard. And it was a, a, an unexpected but traumatic introduction to the reality of racialism coupled with brutality red in tooth and claw, which never left me. Fast forward to 2014 when I was uh, happened to be in, in Cape Town when uh, in the week between Mandela's memorial service and his funeral, and there was wall-to-wall -wall coverage on the media. And I got in touch with the Cape Times who'd interviewed Dennis Goldberg, and to my surprise, they gave me his telephone number. And uh, I rang him up and said, you don't know me. I'm a re recently retired English High Court judge. Can I come and talk to you about the Rivonia trial? And Dennis, being the Dennis I subsequently came to know and love, said, sure, come over. Let's spend the day together. And my wife, Frances, and I went down. And it was a day that changed my life because I discovered through Dennis that there was not just him, but Andrew and Kathy, conveniently very color coded, one white, one black, one Indian, still alive. And also George Bezos, Dennis Cooney, and, um, uh, and um, uh, the, who was the third? Um, it'll come back to me in a moment. Uh, lawyer, a uh, member of the team. Um, and uh, Joel Joffrey, of course, Joel Joffrey. Uh, all with razor sharp memories. Uh, and um, I went back, I read all the books. I asked my friends when I came back to London, lawyers, journalists, politicians, very few people knew these stories, even knew these names. I hadn't. And I gradually discovered that their names were largely unknown to young people in South Africa. And that's why I decided to make this film. Uh, it was a time where the disillusionment was growing uh in the townships with the slow pace of economic change and with the corruption and i thought if i was a young black in a township in south africa uh i would want to know that my political freedoms had been won by these heroes and there was three of them were still alive and three of the lawyers and although they are now sadly dead the potential of their legacy to affect change i believe is significant and that's why we have this charity that Joel Joffe and you and I and Ben Valentin have set up uh, is working to collaborate with the Ministry of Basic Education in South Africa, who have agreed to show the film at all 6,500 high schools in the country. I understand that that is without precedent. It's never been done before. It's to promote non-racialism as part of the new history curriculum. And we are now trying to raise £120,000 to make that happen. And um, when you look at the degree, the endemic systemic nature of both corruption and the consequent alienation caused by that corruption and the pessimism, let alone the disincentive for inward investment, I believe that to change a new generation, to educate a new generation in the values of the Rivonia trialists, it won't happen overnight, but it is a necessary, uh, if not sufficient um, requirement, a building block for creating a new South Africa, which will emerge from these terrible years uh, and will emerge because of those moral and political values. Thank you, Nick. Uh, could you share with us some of the reactions of young black South Africans who have seen this film and then uh, broaden that out into the context of why 
you have touched on it, but why this is such a vitally important, uh, the messages of this film are so vitally important in South Africa today. Well, I can give you two contrasting examples. I asked for the film to be shown in the Kailisha Township. And as soon as the credits rolled, a very softly spoken, polite, young, black South African uh, didn't ask a question. He just said from the floor, there is no place for whites in South Africa. And I said to him, well, you've just seen Dennis Goldberg describe how he um, was prepared to, he offered to pretend that he had exceeded his mandate, if that would save the lives of the black leadership of the ANC. Are you really saying there's no place in South Africa for Dennis? And that, to me, typifies the problem that is facing South Africa, that there is such an alienation uh, and that that alienation has made people, has made particularly young black people, very prone to, susceptible to the kind of propaganda at the end of the Zuma years, where there was that Bell Pottinger uh, campaign that sought to put all the blame for the ills of modern South Africa on post-colonial white capital as a way of diverting attention from uh, other matters closer to home. That's one example at one end. At the other end, uh, at the, the Beco Center, the Steve Beco Center in Ginsburg, we had 213 year olds, school children from the townships came in. And at the end of it, uh, one young girl came out unasked onto the stage um, she was a soloist in the choir and she started singing this invented song, Operation Mayabuye, Nelson Mandela. And halfway through, she burst into tears. She was so overcome by emotion. And then these three young girls, 13, I would say, came up and they wanted to have a selfie. And so we chatted for a few moments and I asked, who's going to be the first female president of South Africa? And like uh, um, choreographed uh, swimming, uh, three young black female hands pointed skywards. And I thought, even in 19, on the 27th of April, 1994, the idea that in the Eastern Cape from a township, three young 13-year-old black South African girls could have the confidence, the self-confidence, the vision to believe that that was possible, shows you what, is, what possibilities there are open to South Africa. And all the students and the young people, the children, the learners, that have seen the film um, have reacted not like the man in Kailicha, but like the schoolgirls uh, in, uh, in in Ginsburg. They are, you'd have to have a heart of stone not to be moved by these stories. There's nothing fake, there's no fake news about these stories. These are remarkable heroes. They're brave people who risked their lives, spent a quarter of a century in prison in order to make the world a better place. And if that doesn't move you and inspire you to ask, well, if they can do that, what can I do? You've got problems. Thank you, Nick. Um, and in this age of, um, we hear a lot these days about impact investment. Um, I was on a webinar earlier today where a leading South African uh, <clears throat> business executive said, you know, we've been through the phase of charity, of social responsibility, of uh, <clears throat> social business and so forth. But now, right throughout the world, but in a sense, it's already happened in South Africa. No business has any chance of making it unless they are contributing to the community in which they operate, unless they are improving the lives of people. It's no longer a charitable thing to do. It is an essential part of business. 
So um, with that background and that huge change that is taking place, I would suggest, in the consciousness of the world, but particularly in the business community, those people who make profits, who once making profit was the goal in itself. Now it is no longer the goal in itself. A large part of the goal is how do you make the world a better place? And against that background, what do you see as the relevance um, of this film um, and the message from this film to the, um, uh, to the financiers and bankers and business executives in the city of London? I think it's a very straightforward message. If you um, care about South Africa as a, uh, either as a place that you want to do business, uh, if you care, of it, care, care about it in that sense, nothing is possible without the rule of law. And the rule of law is not possible uh, where you have corruption that is as endemic and systemic as it is in South Africa. On the day that they announced uh, the sovereign fund uh, on, for a PPE on COVID, people had already submitted fraudulent invoices. Um, so it is very much in the enlightened self-interest of any investor in South Africa to create, to contribute to a sea change, not just in the corruption, but in the skepticism uh, that is caused by the corruption. And enabling, educating, opening the eyes of disaffected young people in South Africa to the noble ideals of not that many years ago uh, of these people who came out of prison uh, in the uh, late 1980s, early 1990s, to change, to create a new mood, a new generation who are not prepared to go down that road of corruption, but are prepared to say, like the Rivonia trialists, no, not in our name. We want a different world. And of course, most of the people who are uh, inward investors are also human beings with mothers and fathers and children who they want to behave to bring up in the right way to the right values, and they do bring up in the right values. And when they see a film like this, they see what went on in South Africa, which was unbelievably shocking under apartheid, cruel, inhuman, vicious. And when they see these heroic people standing up to it, um, who wouldn't want to educate the, 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 the heirs of that generation so that they too can carry that torch forward? It is very much about passing on the baton of inspiration, just like Bram Fischer inspired Joel Joffe, who dedicated much of his life to keeping Bram Fischer's memory alone and, uh, alive and his legacy alive. Joel and the other um, people in this film have certainly inspired me uh, to, to make a mission of not, not just making this film, but putting the film to good use by showing it to all these children in South Africa. Um, and I hope that it will inspire business people, members of the business community in the city of London, in England, in South Africa, South African expats, South Africans in South Africa, just all people of goodwill, decent human beings, to see that it is not only enlightened self-interest to try and change this logjam, but actually not that difficult. Can Thank we you very take much, Nick. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, We're getting no, a lot no. of people that are dropping off at the moment. So can I yeah. hand to Michael Manelli to introduce the recorder, please? Yes, I'd like to ask uh, Mark Lucraft. Mark, would you mind turning on your camera and your audio? And uh, some remarks you would be most welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. There are events in our individual lives that have an impact on us. There are people we meet who, from whom we draw inspiration as we grow and preserve our, and persevere in our individual lives or our careers. 
Equally, there are other events that affect all of us and mould us. And there are individuals who have a truly global impact. Nelson Mandela is one such person. He and his fight to confront apartheid and eventually become president is a story that is well known. But this film has revealed to all of us the stories of the many others who are not household names, those who shared that fight against apartheid. I am sure that we are all truly grateful to Sinek for telling their stories, the stories of others who, as he put in his opening words this evening, put their necks on the line. Many of us, and I'm certainly guilty of this myself, take for granted the freedoms and rights we enjoy in this country as a democratic and free society. How would we be prepared, would we be prepared to do what they did? I watched the film and I'm speaking to you tonight from my retiring room at the Old Bailey. Here we try many people accused of the most serious and the most heinous crimes. I was struck by also by the stories of the lawyers, Bram Fisher and the others, what they did, what they were prepared to do, their courage and their sacrifices. Sonic spoke in the course of the question and answers about the Black Lives Matter movement. In this country, there have been critical comments made by politicians about the role of lawyers. And only last week, the Lord Chief Justice said this, that the vitality and independence of the legal profession is an essential hallmark of a society governed by the rule of law. Lawyers have to have a duty to act fearlessly for their clients, subject always to their overriding professional obligations and duties to the courts. They should not be subject to criticism for doing so. A general attack on the legal profession, in my view, undermines the rule of law. It is important that we all remember that. So Nick, this is a truly inspirational film. Thank you very much for making it and for the initiative this evening for showing it in the way that it has been with the ability for people to ask you the questions they have. Thank you very much. On behalf of the City of London, my brother Sheriff Chris Hayward and the High Sheriff of Greater London, John Garbutt, may we thank the many who made this too brief event possible. What a moving experience for so many people to share together in a virtual Old Bailey Cinema at the Central Criminal Court. It has been humbling, yet inspiring, and so pertinent to our unique two-year theme as Sheriffs of the City of London to promote the importance of the rule of law in the UK and beyond. Thus, we thank you, the audience, without whom this event would be pointless, for their generous remarks, the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor, Alderman William Russell, the Recorder of London, Mark Lucraft, QC, Rian Rakjavi, and Stuart Williams for their heartfelt comments, John Battersby for leading discussion, for the production and administration, Stuart Round at Event Factory, Morgan Rose, Peter Welsh, and Alex Kemsley at Zien Group, and our co-organizer and chairman, Sharon Constanson, for getting us all together. But most of all, we thank you, Sir Nick Stadlin, for turning a passionate interest into such a positive affirmation that life is wonderful. We leave the charity details for everyone here and on the website event page. Thank you all and good night.
Thank you very much, uh, Michael. I really appreciate that. And I'd just like, I'm thanking everyone, which you've done, I won't do again. But it's interesting how many comments have echoed a similar theme of, and as per the end of the video that we put together, this is a lesson and an inspiration for the leaders of South Africa today. Thank you, everyone.